Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Upstate Coffee Collective podcast. Um, the bumper for this episode was supposed to be basically what you end up hearing um, here in today's episode because uh, Kevin and I were originally supposed to sit down with Andrew Michael Wells of Iadola uh, for the second time, but he needed to cancel on us because um, he needed a little bit of a mental health day. He was feeling anxiety, which was kind of the perfect segue for the conversation we had because we were already meaning to have a conversation about mental health. That was the focus and the topic of the episode. So even though we didn't get to hear some great insights from Andrew now, uh, he will be back, I'm sure, and we'll, um, I can't wait to talk with him again. Um, Kevin and I ended up just <laughs> having one of the most candid honest conversations about mental health that I've had in a long time. We talk about toxic masculinity. We talk about the negative effects of working too hard um, and not listening to yourself, to your body. Um, Kevin and I both deal with different kinds of mental illness. And I think it's safe to say that most people have something going on. Nobody is perfect and um, as time has gone on, we've, as a society, understood that you not only have to work on taking care of yourself physically by exercising, but you also have to take care of yourself mentally. And that does take work. It doesn't, it's not an on and off switch. It's not a binary situation. You're not crazy or not crazy. Everybody deals with some level of, um, depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive, you know, mood swings that could be personality disorders. I mean, the list goes on and on. And um, we're a sample size of two, but both of us have gone through some shit and especially Kevin recently. Um, that's why Kevin had to take a week off last week and he wants to come back on um, with brutal honesty about what he's going through personally, um, because he thinks it's not only important for him to be honest with himself, but it's important for him to be honest with the people around him. He's a social person. He can't hide who he is and his struggles. And I think that that's great because the way that we sometimes go about everyday interactions in our society, um, we always ask each other, you know, how are you? But we're never expected to answer in the negative. It's always supposed to be I'm good, how are you? Or just fine, thanks, how are you? Um, or the wonderfully sarcastic living the dream. And we all chuckle because really we're all fucking miserable. <laughs> um, our conversation has highs and lows, uh, but it's all really human connection that I think is really important. Um, we're coming up on September, which is National... Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And now is as good a time as ever to talk about mental health. I think we should be talking about it all the time. Um, but everything starts somewhere with a small step. So this is a small step. And this is us opening up to you and showing you or hopefully creating an example for you to follow. And maybe after this episode, you might think to yourself, hey, maybe I should check in with myself. 
maybe I should check in with my family, my friends, see how everybody's doing and really asking how they're doing, asking them to really open up a little bit and make sure that everybody's doing okay. Cause life is kind of crazy right now. And I can only imagine we'll look back on this and laugh, but for now, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. And if you find that talking to somebody is proving challenging for you, feel free to reach out to us. You have our DMS and we're more than happy to connect with you and listen. We love you and enjoy this conversation. Have a great week. Love yourself first. Peace. Stay Coffee Collective. Welcome back. Podcast. Yep. We got the bumpers. We're doing we got the both of us this week. Yeah. And uh, that was a good conversation with Odie. Yeah. Did you like it? I did like that. He's my boy. He's cool, man. He's got. Have a, I played Destiny with him? I think so. Probably. I think right? so. Yeah. We probably prob- hopped in on some Crucible together. In a raid or something, I think, when, when we got everybody together. All these grown men who have actual jobs just getting together and shooting aliens online. When life gives you aliens, aliens to shoot, just shoot. When Bungie gives you aliens, when Bungie gives you aliens, shoot first, ask questions later. Yo, let's talk about Rashad. Can and we? Gorgon Slade. <laughs> I didn't Dude. mention it to him because it made me think of Destiny. That shirt, the did, Gorgon Slade. Did it? Remember in the first Destiny raid? Destiny one. Destiny one. Yeah. The Gorgons. Oh, literal the Gorgon's base. Yes, yes. Remember that? I did. Yeah. That's actually. <laughs> I that, saw that shirt and was like, yo, so destiny <laughs> deep cut right there. So this will give you uh, context to the way that my brain works as opposed to, I assume the way that it actually operated in, in your head, which was I saw Gorgon's and I thought destiny. And mm-hmm. then I remembered that Gorgon's and destiny were actually a reference to the Greek mythology of gorgons i thought of both at the same time because i I saw medusa yes but i have experience with destiny you know so like i i see both medusa was a gorgon yes yep and the gorgons in destiny would freeze you in time much the way that uh heroes would be frozen destiny was supposed to be a fantasy game it was did you know that i did yeah it was nuts yeah it was supposed to be um high fantasy yeah yeah not even with guns. With magic. It yeah. was it was gonna be a lot more magic focused. Yeah, it was gonna be magic focused and then like um I think the Titans were gonna be like brawlers. Mm. And the hunters were gonna be like rangers. Yep. And then the warlocks were gonna be fucking warlocks. As they are. Yeah. Yeah. And what we ended up with was, you know, guys with guns that punch things. Guys, guys with, with guns, guns that, that throw, throw things. That throw knives at things. Yep. And warlocks. <laughs> and warlocks. <laughs> space warlocks. Space magic. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, Rashad, first of all. The man. This is not the first time we're mentioning Rashad on the podcast. But this was the freshest I've ever seen him dress. He was fresh. Dude. We hollered at him from across the farmer's market. Yeah, dude. Dude, he had like, I think he acid washed his own jeans. Yeah. First off. Right. Well, he designed every piece of item he was clothed or clothed in, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he he repurposed, like right. Like, those were the right. designs. Like, yeah, he had a real nice like. 
he obviously has a keen eye for how he wants to look because he was mm. looking fresh. Yeah, he was. For sure. Freshest person at the farmer's market. Oh, my God. There were some other people that looked fresh at the farmer's market. But yep. Rashad was holding it down. Yeah, I can't think of a single other person that looked even uh, um, an iota as fresh as he looked. Yeah. Oh, yo, shit. Oh, no. What? What happened? Oh, no. What? Andrew's having anxiety today. He's having, he needs to take a mental health day. Sounds like we're having a homebrew edition right now. I think so. Do you want to? We've already kind of started. I mean, we might as well. This started out as a bumper and just ended up a really odd conversation about politics. Well, you can just edit it however you want now. I plan to. Yeah. Well, welcome back to the Upstate Coffee Collective Podcast. It's myself, Matthew Pfeiffer, and Penny the Pug. Hi, Penny. Hanging out. Keep look at her look at you i know she she looks intently at me in the eyes which is great yeah i've she always really i've always treated her every every time like all throughout um all throughout training her as a puppy mm-hmm. whenever um i wanted her attention i would snap and say penny and i would wait for her to look me in the eyes and then i would smile and say good and then treat her yeah right and that's the the attention to look at me thing uh-huh. which helps with with a, keeping their attention for whatever task is next. They were yeah. looking for you to direct them, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, she's just such a great dog. I don't know the exact validity behind this, um, but I've heard from a few people who I would consider reputable sources who mm. spend a lot of time around animals that when dogs look at you intently like that, yeah. uh, that's their version of like trust. It's almost like a hug. Yeah. Yeah, they're hugging you. That's their hug. I've also heard... I mean, dogs also hug. They do. Like, there are some dogs who will just straight up hug you. Big dogs. Yeah. Oh, I, God. Dude, you met Fenway, right? My my family dog. He was the big black dog. Yes. Um, he, he was a big, just like pile of warmth and love. He was a hugger. And he was a hugger big time. If That's you, so sweet. He wouldn't... We trained him not to jump up on you. Like yeah. if you were standing, but if you were sitting, he'd get right up on you. Yeah. He loved you. He would try to like curl up on your lap. Um, this is going to probably be a, a conversation that spans all kinds of topics. I, I'm not feeling very focused today. No, me I think we're both physically and mentally exhausted. Completely. So this podcast was meant uh, originally to be a conversation between you and Andrew Michael Wells from Idola. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, but I feel like we have enough to talk about. In the so we were going to talk about mental health. Yes, I'm. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff, uh, but we're well. We weren't. We weren't going to talk about a lot of stuff, but we were going to talk about mental health. Yeah, for sure. Andrew and I had a conversation earlier this week. Um, He had given me a call up just to check in, see how everything was going, see like what I was up to, and you know, I had to tell him, hey, I had to start therapy, and start sobriety i had to right i had to i I go into aa man yeah yeah but not only that i was like all right i have i can't be anonymous about this anymore and so in the past two weeks i've had to do a sharp readjustment of how i how i approach my mental health um and how i approach my spiritual health and just how I how I treat myself and the amount of honesty that I have with people. Like yeah, because because you're really great about physical health. 
That's one thing I know for sure is you're great at taking care up, of your body. Yeah, I woke up and took care of my body this morning. You know, right. like it, that's that's something I've conditioned it. It's mm-hmm. it's a conditioned behavior that I I enjoy. Like it brings a little bit of joy to my day. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, and I mean, that's, that working out part sucks. Of the conversation sometimes. that Andrew and I were gonna have is like not even so much that working out sucks, but um, the big thing that I've had to come to terms with is I deal with anxiety and depression but i don't deal with anxiety the way that most people think of anxiety i don't Mm. deal with like social anxiety like i'm in the grocery store and it's packed and i'm anxious no it's packed i'm just taking in all the information like i'm paying attention to people no i deal with anxiety like all of a sudden there's nothing to do and my breathing gets short and i i need to find something or else i'm gonna have like a little bit of a mental crack you know so you it's almost like you were you were in this constant state of distracting yourself, but not in, not with the, the way in the way that some people distract themselves with social media, television, or, or even just like a game, mm-hmm. you would distract yourself with tasks, right? Yeah. Like oh, yeah. giving yourself purpose constantly. Yes. And it's because that depression, it directly conflicts with my idea of purpose as a person, like mm. as an individual in life, I could be the happy. I I could look like I'm having the best day of my life. Right. Mm-hmm. But I could get home. And if I didn't feel on a personal level, like I had like. Excelled. I, it, it not even just excelled, but like embraced my purpose. I would be depressed. There are days that we feel like. Um, we're living kind of just to live, right? We're living just, we're just moving through the motions of staying alive, waking up, eating, um, drinking water, doing some job that we don't necessarily love, but that gives us money so that we can eat and sleep and drink water, (laughs) right? And then we go to bed to sleep and we do it all over again. And I've had, I've had, and I should say that um, companionship is, probably one of the strongest ways to help combat those feelings because Mm -hmm. I have certainly come home and felt that same way as you, but I've been lucky enough for the last five and a half years now to always have a partner that I could come home to and say, I don't understand what the point of living is if all I'm going to do is wake up, go to work, come home, sleep, and do it again yeah. if I'm not like collecting some sort of purpose from it. Yeah. Um, so this conversation started abruptly on a Sunday morning, right? The, the source mm-hmm. of this conversation started abruptly on a Sunday morning for us Yep. where you took a turn and you had a really, really bad night, and you yeah. it came to a head, and you realized I could do all of the Pilates or the, run all the miles that I want, and do all of you know, and, and excel yeah. in all of these different areas all at once, and mm-hmm. never sit down. and And you realized that your mental health is something that you needed to oh, to work time. on. Right. I wasn't paying attention to it. You weren't. I was substituting actual mental health with physical activity. Things that I thought like this. Let's use the word arbitrary again. 
this arbitrary idea of success that I put into my head thinking that that would fill a void of emotion and mental illness, essentially. Yeah. You know, I was trying to get rid of something negative by thinking I was doing something positive, but it didn't matter how much I did because that void was still there at the end of the day. You know, yeah, I wasn't actually tending to that. I wasn't approaching it, confronting it, attempting to move past it. Instead, I was approaching, confronting and moving past everything else. Yeah. You know, um, until you exhausted yourself. I watched completely. you. I watched you work well into the night too many nights in a row. And I, mm-hmm. I would I would kind of in the back of my head count going how many how many days in a row has Kevin worked? When's the last time he actually said, "Yeah, I actually have nothing to do today." So if there's you know if there's uh, if you want to meet up and talk about coffee or if you you know whatever or maybe hey I'm not around today because I'm gonna take a day for myself and you know meditate and do some yoga and then go for a hike. Yeah. You know I I never for a while I stopped hearing you say stuff like that. Yeah. And I remember even I think I'm not confident, but I think the night before your accident. I said to you, make sure you take care of yourself. Make sure you put yourself first. And I think you did. Get to sleep. You and I sleep didn't. tonight. And you didn't. No. And then I crashed hard. And that's happened a few times. I mean, the term that's come up um, uh, a lot over the past couple of weeks is um, cyclothemia, which for people who don't know it is like a lesser version of manic depression. Okay. Um, bipolar manic depression. Yeah. So instead of being chemically imbalanced on a bipolar level where I have like little to no control over it, I actually have a fair amount of control. But what happens is I go through cycles of mania and depression. And although the hills and valleys aren't often as steep and deep as that can be, sometimes they are. Yeah. And in those moments where someone who goes through cyclothemia, part of that word, like the beginning of that word being cycle. Yeah. You know, part of that cycle sometimes, like if you're watching it, like sometimes it's a little closer to the center and it, it appears really balanced to everyone else in the real world. And then sometimes it, it, but it's not, you know, sometimes in your own mind, it's a battle of almost life and death, you know? Yeah. Um, And that was, that's a big thing that I've had to come to terms with is, I can't do that anymore because it's it's getting harder and harder each time to combat that feeling, to combat that emotion. So why don't you why don't you take a moment and in your own words tell us um, what your goal is for this podcast for this conversation? I mean, my goal when I was, it's not even so much a goal. I think. When I was chatting with Andrew earlier this week, um, and a lot of the conversations I've had have uh, been centered around the idea that, especially in modern American society, especially in Western civilization, there is a stigmatized version of mental health mm-hmm. um, that causes us to believe that admit admitting that we're not optimally mentally healthy is a detriment to our social status, to the way that people perceive us, to the way that um, we would like to perceive ourselves, whether or not 
uh, it would be better in the short and long term to actually admit that we maybe aren't as healthy as we appear. Mm. Um, and not only that, specifically for for men who are dealing with depression, it's even if it's in our own minds, we think it's frowned upon. And, yeah, and, and, and we frown upon it ourselves because of that, because we create that image in our head. And that patriarchal um, perception of strength, right? The, the, the masculine, the over-masculine version of strength. Yes. Yeah. The, yeah, the toxically masculine version of strength, where right. it's like you have to be strong at all costs. Right. Yeah. Because you have to be strong for everybody else. You have to be strong. Yeah. Right? Like the... Um, the uh sorry i'm i'm looking for the word um <laughs> uh it's a it's a category of character what's the word i'm looking for the uh willpower no so a a, a cat like a category of a type of character oh an archetype archetype that's the word thank you the um the you know the the archetypal 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 i'm trying to come up with these words that are just al at the end yeah yeah archetypal the archetypal man um is not only strong at all costs mm -hmm. but puts everyone else around him before himself mm, as the hero the, the self-sacrifice right yeah. the self-sacrifice yeah and we the martyr we all, really? we've all grown up to aspire to be martyrs they yeah. even i mean think religion think um storybooks think yeah. movies right everything is about the man who is the hero and puts everybody else and their well-being above and before himself mm -hmm. um and not only does that create this this newly uh, th this newly termed category of toxic masculinity um it creates a false expectation of every of every of ourselves yeah. because if we think yeah. about it because we're all the actor that the lead act in our own movies we don't expect other people to do that we only expect ourselves to be the hero oh yeah we're the right you know the what i'm protagonist. saying we're the protagonist the main character well and you have to be that's that's your ego that's part of who you are yes like you you have an ego we another thing that we stigmatize is the term ego because yes. we think of egotists because that's what we hear talked about the most when we talk about ego. But your ego is actually a fragile thing. Yes. And recognizing your ego and recognizing its fragility at the same time as its ability to keep you as a purpose driven individual is just as important, you know, yeah. Um I, you said, you know, what's my goal with this conversation? I would say with the conversations that I'm having, I, I can only hope that I learn a little bit more about myself. Yeah. And I can only hope, especially with this one, that if anyone who tunes in listens to us or if anyone who is listening or ends up listening to this uh, is to get anything out of it, it's that um, mental health is very real, mm. very necessary. And it's not one specific 
image like whatever whatever we think it is it it's it's a myriad of images it's completely um individualistic yeah in that every single person has a different version of mental health we're all learning different things i i i think i learned very abruptly and i'm still here's the crazy thing i still know so little about my own version of mental health in this light that even I, as I'm having these conversations, I'm finding that I'm pausing more where normally I can just throw in some bit of knowledge that I have from everything I've ever read and all, you know, I have that, I have that academic ability to retain knowledge and regurgitate it and or process it and use that as an example or an analogy or a metaphor yeah all the time now i'm having these conversations where i have to look more inward than i typically do and i'm finding myself pausing i'm finding myself actually having to process something that i haven't had words for before Mm. and i'm learning new things that are a little bit more intuitive than they are academic. One of the challenges I've had with my mental health, um, because some people have some people have the opposite problem. Like I here, let me phrase it this way. Um, I'll I'll start by saying one of the benefits of my personality and one of my strengths in my mental health mm-hmm. is that. I am prioritizing being open about my feelings, mm-hmm. open about my fears and my anxieties, and open about um, my kind of failures, like my downfalls, things that trigger panic attacks, things that make me uncomfortable, things that I get you know scared of. And I'm really good at telling people those things. I'm really good at saying, hey, Kev, listen, you know, yeah. Um, uh, I had a panic attack in a, I had a panic attack in a car when I was, um, let's see, it was probably 2015, 2014. So mm-hmm. it's probably 22, 23. I had a panic attack in my car and it caused me to, you know, basically, uh, fear getting back in that position again so driving was very difficult for me for a long time yep and that still comes up every now and again especially on long drives so for me to easily be able to just communicate that to people like if we're going to go on a road trip together before we do anything i say hey listen i want you to know here's where i'm at here's the here's what i need um Mm -hmm. it probably won't come to a head but if it does here's what we do um here's how i manage it that's what I'm good at. What I'm not good at is differentiating fear from anxiety or yes. fear from panic. Mm-hmm. There are things in this life that we experience for the first time or things that we anticipate with anxiety. That's a healthy level of anxiety. It's butterflies. It's, you know, um, excitement. I have a hard time differentiating those feelings from panic attacks or emerging panic attacks oh big time um what you talked about 
you know, kind of things that you've had to stop and think about and learn? Um, what is it that you are learning right now? Or what are, where are some obstacles? What are some obstacles that you have that you're trying to overcome now? I would so the biggest obstacle I probably presented myself with earlier this year was I started being radically honest mm. with myself and with other people. And this is the first year in my life. I'm 33. Mm -hmm. It's the first year in my entire life that I've actually opened up to just I, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to be honest with everybody. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm going to let people know like how I'm feeling. Yep. I'm going to try to be more honest about that. And that's been a struggle. Um, and the thing that I'm learning about myself is I created that struggle because of the idea that I had of strength and the idea I had of processing pain. And they were, they were inept. Those ideas don't work over a longer period of time. What they do is they generate mental illness. They, they make you feel like you're a stronger person for overcoming pain and suffering and your own mental shortcomings on your own. But in doing that, the only form of strength that you generate is this solitary dependency. Yeah. You to the point where it becomes its own it it becomes its own disease. Like the cure for something becomes its own disease. Mm -hmm. Like your your cure for pain and for negative feelings and for sadness and for depression are I'm going to get over it by myself mm -hmm. but what that does is that cuts off the idea that you could even seek help in the first place yeah or that you know and and so you be you become one of those people that not only have you done yourself the disservice of being less likely to ask people for help you've done yourself the disservice of painting a picture of yourself for your friends and family for your loved ones that you're okay yes when you're not Yes. You're you're so okay that n very few people, very few would even stop and say, "Hey, are you okay?" Because you know, how are you doing? I had this exact conversation with Kenzie, with my wife, mm -hmm. because um she also deals with anxiety and mm -hmm. she has often said to me she feels like sometimes like she is invisible in her family. She has a lot of cousins. She has a couple brothers. Mm -hmm. And it always feels like the conversation, um, you know, people checking in on each other never really comes around to her. Mm -hmm. And I said to her that as human beings with crazy lives and so much going on, um, that we're, we keep in tune with the people who look like they need the most help when yeah. somebody looks like they're doing great i mean kenzie and i are married kenzie has a great job she's a teacher mm -hmm. she is a total perfectionist as you know you can tell that she she is always like yep everything's fine you know smiley it's giggly gonna be okay. yeah mm -hmm. and that is a front a lot of the time when she's really dealing with something very very tough for her she doesn't let people know that right off the bat. And I think she's getting better about that because we've been having good conversations about mm -hmm. this stuff. But I said to her, if you look like you're doing okay, chances are 
less people are likely to say, are you doing okay? Because yeah. they are more concerned about the people who are outwardly like, I'm not okay. Yeah. So you, as you know, one of the most outgoing, it, the most outgoing person <laughs> I know, I had to stop myself because, you know, I, yeah. you were, you're the most outgoing person I know. And, and you have that same kind of a personality where if I say, how's it going? Generally, you're like, fantastic. Here's what I did today. I just did 100 sit-ups. How and are you doing? And But yeah. you, know, you know what you just did by doing that, though? Fan, I'm fantastic. Here's what I did today. Yeah. Here's what I accomplished today, not how I'm feeling today. Yeah. Well, and that's that was the that was the the best way to put it. That's a disability mm. that you create for yourself. Yeah. And I've had to learn that. And the the craziest thing that I've so you know you mentioned how like the checking in on each other works and how she feels like people don't check in on her but like she always says she's okay do you know the term the squeaky wheel gets the oil of course yeah everyone knows that everybody term. knows that it, every now and then you gotta squeak you gotta squeak yeah <laughs> exactly you know like and if you don't people have no idea of what's going on you know mm -hmm. if you're constantly just tight-lipped about whatever pain it is you're feeling or whatever you're going through. And like, e even when you're upset, people are like, are you okay? And you're like, I'll be fine. And then you go and try to solve it on your own. Eventually you've created a pattern where people don't, you know, you're, you're not, um, you're not the, the boy who cried wolf. You know, you're not the kid who cried wolf. You're, you're the kid who didn't cry. And so why would anyone even come looking for you? You didn't, yeah, you didn't like, say oh, anything Kevin's in the first doing, place. Kevin's You're doing fine. great. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's, exactly. he's an eclectic guy. He, 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 you know, does a lot of different things. He's constantly involved. He's hanging out with people all the time. He's in the, you know, he's doing this play. He was in the paper. He's start, you know, he works at crew. He seems like he really likes his job. Always very uppity. Always very yeah. chest, you know, chest out. Great posture. That guy's got yeah. great posture. Is he a dancer? Yeah, <laughs> right. Oh my god. <laughs> And, and and so you you kind of it's like a you're it's like you're sorting in your head you know you're mm -hmm. it's like you're creating uh, a library of people and you're sorting them by you know like how much attention you need to give them and Kevin kind of goes in the back of Kevin's got enough going on he probably doesn't even realize that I don't have to pay attention to him yeah you know and yeah I think that happens with a lot of people well yeah and you know it was what's funny is. I was going through this process of learning how to open up to people mm. this year, how to really open up to people instead of like closing them out. Um, because you can do that without actively pushing people away. You can kind of close people out by just like putting up that front and then they don't, they don't care to look behind it and see what's really going on. But as I was doing that, I, I made myself very emotionally raw Yeah, and I put myself in a position that I wasn't prepared to handle mentally or emotionally and um you know a, a month before now like about a month and a half ago i was just i was at home and i just i started crying mm. like for no reason and then because i couldn't figure it out and then because i couldn't solve it myself i cried more yeah and i, I did it until i fell asleep and then i woke up the next day and i was like well, I guess I'm fine. Yeah. I guess I, I made it through. I'm okay. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I tried to like close people out of that experience that I had had. I wasn't very, I didn't tell a lot of people about it. Mm. You know, only a few select people 
even knew the details of it. I don't think I told you all about it. I don't I think, think I had heard of it. Yeah, I think I, I, I might have like mentioned, oh, yeah, it was a rough night or whatever, you know, yeah. but like there may be like two or three people, two or three people that I even said, yeah, this is where I was at. Right. I was very depressed. I didn't know how to handle myself or what I was going to do. I was just, I was really glad to wake up. And the first thing I thought the next day was like, go do something mm. like go do. If you don't do something right now, if you don't move right now, you're, you're going to hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, four weeks later, five weeks later, all of a sudden I did hurt myself. Yeah. Really bad. And I had to finally, I, you know, we recorded a podcast that morning. That morning. I came and still, because it was still in my head that that's who I am, that I go and get things done and I'm okay, that I was able to do that. And it wasn't until I was sitting in front of Kyle, my boss, one of my bosses at work, that yeah. I actually started crying. Yeah. Because I, I was like in shock. Yeah. I, I was in shock up until that point. I, I you know, and it's scary yeah, because yeah. now we have like this recorded version of myself that I can hear and I'm like, I sound fine. Yeah. I sound fine. I, and that's the scariest thing. I was not fine. I could tell, obviously <laughs> I could tell you weren't fine, but like it it was I was watching you in this like manic state, you know, because you were just like you were in shock and your yeah. adrenaline was still pumping and you just I remember being like, listen, like let's reschedule the podcast. And you're like, no, no, I I no, need, I'm fine. Let's do it. Well, no. What you actually said was, I need, I need some normalcy before I go and address everything that's about to happen. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I, I understand that. And then, but the way that you described what you had done in that very brutal, what did you call it? honesty? Um, uh, yeah, like radical. Rad in that radically, radically honest. honest way. Um, it seemed like you were still in the midst of like a mental breakdown because there was almost like a, um, like a, like a, yeah, like a maniacal kind of laughter to it. Like, can you believe that I just did that? Let's go do a podcast. Ha ha. Yeah. You were still in that state and I was watching a very small, um, like, <laughs> like a very small fraction of that moment mm -hmm. in you for many weeks leading up to that. Yeah. It was this, this maniacal, like, yeah, nah, like I'm crazy for sure, but let's just do it. You know, like <laughs> I'm going to keep pushing. It's fine. Yeah. I didn't think something like that would ever happen truly. And well, who but, does? Who does? Yeah. Right. Um, but I also could tell that you were struggling internally yeah. and I kind of this so this is brutal honesty or or like you Radical. kind of kind of a raw moment for me that like this is we're on the air right now i we have, i haven't shared this with you yet but like that morning um i was extremely uncomfortable of course and yeah. like like that's not surprising but like i didn't i didn't know how to how to talk to you i didn't know how to oh. be there for you i didn't even know that and I didn't know what to do um, as a friend uh, and back to the toxic masculinity thing as another man next mm. to you where you were raw and you know, we were in your apartment and like you were like kind of like laughing and then like crying a little bit and kind of just like trying to figure out and like process what happened. 
I had no idea what to do. And that is something that I have to work on because yeah. I don't know how to like let my masculinity driven guard down of like, don't cry, be the strong anchor. Yeah. I just didn't, I didn't know how to function in that moment. You know, what's crazy. Hmm. There's no scholastic course in public school. I can't speak for private school that I can remember that teaches you how to comfort another person. Yeah. Now that we're talking about no that way. right now, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to like bring it up in my mind. Like if there's anything that I was ever taught from very capable adults on how to comfort another human being apart from like, you know, if you're lucky, like your parents will teach you, mm. you know, and luckily, you know, I do, I do, I, I have good parents, yeah. you know, yeah, as do I like in this moment, I've been able to turn to them and say, Hey, I know that I've been telling you everything's okay for a very long time, but it's not. Mm -hmm. And, um, the response has been like, you know, a really tough moment for me was I had to look at my dad and my dad, like he just paused and he looked at me and he said, I need you. Oh, like, like, like he, he needed yeah. your strength. Yeah. Ugh. And that's a weird moment. Yeah. As a, a man to see like your dad tear up yeah and say i need you and to think i almost took that from you you know and to think like he almost didn't get the chance to say that right he's never said that he's never said i need you yeah i've only had I've only had a handful of like those kinds of conversations with my parents and um, I don't know re relationships with, with parents and maybe especially as a man, I get, I don't, I've never, I'm not a woman, uh, yeah, we can't speak. For we that can't speak for women for that no. perspective at all. But as a man, you know, struggling to find himself um, in this world and and trying to be like the per the person that you want to be, balancing that with who your parents want you to be, or yeah, like more specifically. Um, just making them proud, which is like such a broad term that it, it makes it really tough. Yeah, um, definitely. It's hard to be yourself even around your own parents. Whenever I get down together with my parents, it's always what kind of that same conversation that we were like, kind of the same. Here's like, what I've done. Here's what I've done. Here's yep. what I'm doing. Look at here's, the things I've done. Right. It's very rarely how are you <sighs> feeling. And we've had those mental health conversations before in my house and they've gotten pretty heady. Or heavy, rather. Yeah. Um, and there's been crying, and and you know, my myself. I think my all three of of my parents' children have all mm. dealt with mental health in some way. Mm -hmm. Um. And it's it's hard to get through 
and hear their like raw emotions like that. Like I need you. I've yeah. My parents have always made me feel like I'm being too emotional instead of coming down to my level and being like, here are all my fears. Here are the things that keep me up at night. Here's what I've been dealing with. Very rarely have I heard anything like that come out of my dad. My dad has always been the level headed um, glasses half full kind of guy. My mom, mm-hmm. very openly emotional, very, but, but in a, in a chaotic way, in a, yeah. in a, um, frantic all at once, uh, way that it spills out of the her. emotion. It spills out yeah. of her. Um, but only when you set her off, you know, only when there's an argument, only when there's anger and yeah. not, um, just a uh, a raw moment of clarity, you know? Yeah. And I don't know if that's her trying to be strong for us or maybe kind of having a similar relationship with her own emotions that maybe you were having or are having where you don't think that it's uh, your place to open up to people. I don't know. Maybe. But it's, it's always weighed a little bit on my mind the way that Mm. like i always wonder how are my parents doing Mm -hmm. and am i doing enough to be the best son am i doing enough to be the best brother when's the last time i called my grandparents i live i live constantly in this mode of guilt because one day our parents will pass right yeah and will i have been for them everything that they hoped i would be i think i think every son or daughter deals with that in some way yeah you you just hope yeah that's all you can you did the right thing yeah, I mean, that's it's heavy to contemplate those things, and I think when you when you come out of a scenario where you've almost ended life, you know, you're able to maybe step back and reassess it differently, and um, I would say that the best way that I've dealt with it before is not the best way, but the the way that I've chosen to deal with it before the best way that I can express how I've dealt with this up to this point is to embrace my own mania and to use that to, I I kind of accelerate. So rather than hitting the brakes, you go faster, I, I go faster and I go, no, 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 nothing could be wrong. Look at all the things I'm doing. Right. Nothing can be wrong. Of course, look at all the things I'm doing. I'm getting all of these things done. I'm successful. I need to put that on a plaque. Nothing could be wrong. Look at all the things I'm doing. Yeah. Almost as a reminder of like what you do (laughs) is not the definition of how you you, are. are. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of really huge things that have come out of this are now that I've forced my own hand into having to be even more radically honest and just like, and to actually hit the fucking brakes mm-hmm. for once, like to really hit them and to not be able to do anything else, like mm-hmm. to to walk into work and say, I need a mental health week. I've never said those words in my entire life. I've yeah. never like in my mind, it almost seemed wrong mm-hmm. to walk up to someone who signs your paycheck and say, I need a mental health week. And even in saying it like I, I would it was hard. I stumbled over my own words expressing my need for mental health and emotional health. And then over the pe- over the past couple of weeks, 
I've been stumbling over words trying to express these things and trying to I've, I have to learn a whole new behavioral set now, you know, like I, I can't the way that I put it, you know, I had to admit that I was an alcoholic. Yeah. And the, the only thing I could say at AA was, you know, I'm really glad for this group. I'm glad that I'm here. This is <laughs> this is my second time going to AA. Oh, you've been in the in past. In life. You've yes. been in the past. Yes, and nobody knew because by the time by the time anybody could have even asked the question, has there been an issue? I was already on that mode set of here are all the things I'm getting done. Yeah. How could there be a problem? There was a there was a there were more than one occasions in my time knowing you where you were like yeah, I'm, I'm not drinking anymore. Yeah, or I'm not drinking right now. And yeah. and I thought that that was like a proactive, healthy thing of saying like, okay, he seems like like drinking maybe maybe. And I didn't know the details. I thought, well, maybe he doesn't you know like how he feels when he's drinking. Maybe he drinks too much and he's identified that and he wants to take a little bit of a break from it. Yeah. I thought that that was a responsible thing. And I looked up to it. I was like, <laughs> I love how you just voluntarily just stop drinking. Well. One of those times I was in AA. Right. And I just wasn't telling people. I was sure. just saying I'm not drinking right now. Yeah. Because I hadn't gotten around to the point where I felt comfortable enough to tell people I have an issue with alcohol. I can't drink. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be drinking. And, you know, my decision this time is to just tell people. Yeah. And and to just say I'm gonna, like I told everyone at AA, I'm like, I'm like here, I can definitely like I, I respect the group and I respect everyone's privacy. Everything stays here. But in my own personal life, I cannot be an anonymous alcoholic. I don't have that luxury. Right. Because not only have I made a profession out of knowing beverages, yeah. out of like being able to drink a wine and guess what grapes are in it. It's it's a parlor trick. I've had that parlor trick and oh, I've been yeah. able, not only have I been a bartender before, I mean, you know, a fucking a week after I went sober, I was challenged. I had to go bartend for the Real Housewives of New Jersey. I love that story. It's insane. It's stupid. It's insane. It's, it's the dumbest story. Like, like if, if it wasn't you, I would have been like, get the <laughs> fuck out of so here. Insane. You're you're in AA. You can't do it. But because yeah. it was you, I was like, Kevin can do it. And, and I, I did. And you and it was almost like <laughs> for the for the story of it, you had to do it. Like it, yeah. It, but and I don't, it I don't, was it was more so like that was the only way I was gonna make money that week. <laughs> 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 that, was more, that was the only that was my paycheck. I know. You know, but like I'm taking a mental health week because I'm uh, an alcoholic <laughs> and I'm going to AA. But I also, but I also have to bartend money. for the <laughs> the seven biggest alcoholics in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and that's that's insane. But like the thing that I've discovered in in that week, in those weeks, and in in being in saying I can't be an anonymous alcoholic, I have to tell people I'm an alcoholic. I found myself at one point sitting in a room with three generations of alcoholics in my family at yeah, the same time, and you didn't even know about all of them. And I had, you know, and it's it, and if I did have an inkling, it's not something that I thought about because in my mind that was their issue. You know, not even thinking about how alcoholism is like a genetic disorder that can be passed down. And like if you have a relative who is an alcoholic, you're more likely to be one. 
Do we know you what know, gene that is? There, it, I, it's, it's I mean, not like offhand, addiction. But it's addiction. Like, yeah. it, you know how you could like mothers can pass addiction down to their like their their offspring. Again, that, I want to know what that gene addiction that is. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah, but it can be passed down. Yeah, that, because what it is is it's it's conditioned into one person, and then it gets conditioned into the next, and then so, it gets conditioned into the next, whether or not they know it or admit it. And they're the thing that I'm finding more often than not as i'm being radically honest about this is the people who are choosing to confide in me most of the time and you know how i am i'm i'm still as social as ever so i'm talking to a ton of people yeah and and i'm just like i'm just like yeah i'm an alcoholic and like they'll go yeah well you know i have a bad relationship with alcohol or or they'll say oh well you were a very high functioning alcoholic you were you were a functional alcoholic you were a very functional alcoholic i know a bunch of functional alcoholics doesn't make it right you know doesn't make it doesn't make it right doesn't make it healthy but that makes it easier for them to hide it you know well and and it's a socially acceptable way of being an alcoholic is well sure maybe i drink too much but there's also some sort of like a an animated like quirk to it it's like oh he's yeah. so funny he drinks too much but he's the hardest worker i've ever seen yeah that's not the way that we should be as people or like you know the guy who's like the funniest drunk yeah know? no one no one thinks that the funniest drunk is an alcoholic but that's just because I think, what he did was he he brought joy i think until you know? a certain point though i think when we're in high school or i should say when we're in college and then post-college you got that friend who drinks a lot and he's hilarious he's never done an angry or you know uncomfortable thing in his life when he's yeah. drunk but then we start getting older we start getting married we start having kids and that guy's still going to bars and doing the same kind of parlor tricks that we saw 20 years ago and we that's go, what it is it's a parlor oh, trick. yeah yeah and, and you're just like oh yeah you should not have a relationship <laughs> with alcohol anymore yeah you know and like <laughs> i said to you like i said matt I don't know when I became an alcoholic, but it's definitely much longer than I'd like to admit. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that's, that's kind of, that's my, my, I'm sticking to that. Like, is I don't know. I, I couldn't pinpoint the moment that it happened, but I know that it's definitely longer than I'd like to think it was. I'll, I'll just contrast that and kind of wrap this alcohol conversation up with my intentions which are i know that my relationship with alcohol is actually quite healthy i i don't seem to rely on it at all i don't seem to lose track and you know fall into any sort of negative habits i also don't crave drinks and i don't drink by myself it's definitely a social thing um and that being said there's a there's a piece of me from a deep personal level that aspires to live alcohol free because I know that it's bad for me. Yeah. And I know I'm a better person when I don't drink. Yeah. Well, and even, you know, this year, like one of the things that you'd hear me say is, you know, the only the only bad part of my diet, like when I'm eating my healthiest, the only bad part of my diet was alcohol. Mm hmm. That was the only bad thing in my diet at a lot of different points. And I think back on that and I I kind of chuckle at myself. And at the same time, I'm shaking my head. Right. You know, I'm like, you fool. You fool. Yeah. And that's it, man. And like, you know, that coupled with 
starting therapy. Like admitting, because <laughs> it was one thing to come into 2020 and say, I want to be the best version of myself. I have to be radically honest with myself and other people. I didn't, I never thought that <laughs> I think I was trying to find my own fix for my mental health issues by saying, if I'm just radically honest with myself and other people, like I don't have to go to therapy. I'm not, I'm not going to need therapy. everyone else is my, I, therapy. I, I dude, I have vehemently resisted therapy multiple times in my life. It's uncomfortable. I've said, I don't need it. It's uncomfortable. Well, and that's, <laughs> my first therapy session i i got done and i was like holy shit i needed this yeah like i had no idea and it's because you can't know these things until you're seated across from someone or talking to someone on a zoom meeting who's a professional who asks you the questions that your friends can't ask that your family can't ask who sits there and says i noticed something and I noticed that it's a problem. I want you to verbalize and enunciate and process that problem with me. And then as you start to do it, you can feel your own inabilities crumbling. I started therapy too long after I needed it. Mm. And yet it's still immediately helped me if not how many years ago uh 10 years ago 11 started nine a, years ago you started at about the same time i probably should have started it yeah you know yeah <laughs> like, and, and to, to be to be clear i haven't been to therapy in a long time and i probably should be uh, i've been on and off i've because you know why this is a problem that i have self identified that even my therapist didn't really identify to me, at least maybe internally, like maybe in his notes, he's like, seems to blah, blah, blah. Here's this thing. And I think you did it too, but your therapist, I think caught the act, which is, I know I have this problem. Mm -hmm. I'm not in denial and I'm going to do to, and I'm going to say that I have this problem, but I'm okay. You know, I'm like, like going in and basically saying, I'm not one of the crazy ones. Like I'm going to be the best, the best uh, patient you've ever had because I'm not that crazy. I'm actually quite smart. And let me show you how smart I am. And let me show you how insightful I am. Yeah. And let me show you that I don't need as much help as everyone else when that, that maybe is not true. Yeah. Um, and so in doing that kind of act where all of a sudden the couch at my therapist's office turned into a stage for me to say, here are the things that I experience, but I'm also a really well-adjusted human and I don't actually need that much therapy. Mm. By, by the time, so the, the two separate times I went to therapy, the first time I did not get medicated, um, he diagnosed me with mild panic disorder. Okay. Basically, which is you have panic attacks every now and again, and you don't know how to deal with them. And was that because you were like, "Look at me, I'm I'm good at dealing with my panic attacks." Or it was, "Look yeah. at me, like I know, you know, I'm I'm smart, and I go to college, and I'm young, and I'm I have a girlfriend, and I have everything, you know, I check all the boxes of like a normal, um, well-adjusted human being, but I have panic attacks every now and again, and they were, mm. um, they were actually not." Uh, this was pre the panic attack in the car incident, which made me afraid of yeah. cars. This was panic attacks, uh, just hyper focusing 
on physical sensations that I would have. Yeah. And it actually it started when I was a kid. We're talking less than 10 years old. Wow. I used to hyper focus on different sensations in my body that mm-hmm. I would feel. They were uh, dizzy spells. They were heart palpitations, um, uh, breathing. And if I got really stressed or, um, you know, work overworked myself and, and my heart rate went up, you know, anything like that would trigger there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so n- not to spend too much time on this, but I was able to kind of dance my way out of extended extensive therapy and or medication the first time by saying mm-hmm. basically, I'm really fine. I'm just feeling some things. And I wanted to talk to somebody about it. Yeah. And I think he got it. I think he believed me because by by the fourth or fifth um, visit, he was basically like, I think you're okay. I, I don't necessarily think you need to continue to come see me. It seems like you're doing better. It seems like you're implementing these issues. If you have a question, call me. But I don't think that it's necessary for you to come every week. And mm-hmm. I was like, sweet. I'm not crazy. I'm fine. I don't need a therapist. Great. Yep. And then it came to a head again when I started having panic attacks when mm-hmm. I was like, it was 2015. So I don't know. I was 23 maybe. Yep. Um, and that's when they were bad. And it and it t- almost turned into agoraphobia, which was like oh. fear of like leaving your house. Yeah. Right? Like fear of being away from places you consider to be like comfort zones. Mm-hmm. And I've struggled with that pretty much ever since. Yeah. And what I do is I, you know, like via exposure mm-hmm. therapy, exposure, I just do the things that I'm uncomfortable with, like getting in a car and going for trips, you know, and I feel kind of weird about it, but I do it. Mm-hmm. And it makes me feel it, it creates that comfort again, that confidence that's like, oh, yeah, that's not a big deal. Like, let's go on all kinds of trips. Let's let's do stuff. And I don't know. I think I need to continue to go and see a therapist continue uh, uh, in, during like, you know, in a sustained way, if not for anything, just to keep checking in. Oh, yeah. Because I'm not checking in enough. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, that's something that I've realized is I have to set that up. Yeah. I have to set up my check ins. Yeah. You know, and another thing that like, I think the thing that I'd probably like to verbalize the most in this entire conversation is as soon as I was more open about it, I realized the support system I could have. Not the support system I did have, not the support system I thought I had, but just how many people were dealing with similar issues, willing to talk about them, willing to check in on me. You know, thank mm. thank God for all the people over the past couple of weeks who have just out of nowhere, like just been like, how are you doing today? Yeah. You know, like really actually asked that, like just out of nowhere, just, hey, you doing OK today? Mm-hmm. I know we had that chat. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, and um, here it, another thing that gets stigmatized a lot. Are groups like AA? Yeah. But here's a couple really good things that they do. One, they confront their problem on a weekly basis. 
They promote confronting their problem on a weekly basis. They do it together. Two. Community. Two, they do it together. Three, they check in on each other. Right. Again, they, like you, a- you give each other your numbers and you say, hey, we're here to support each other. We're here because this is the issue that we're coping with and we're going to do it together. And not only that, if we notice that someone's not here, we're going to check in with that person. Right. And they create that support system. And as soon as I started talking about my mental health issues with some of my friends, I not only got to hear about theirs, but I got to hear about how they deal with it. Mm-hmm. And not only that, it's it's made me a better friend in some terms because a couple of my friends who have expressed that when they have these issues, they process it a little bit differently. Like they right. get quiet or shut themselves up or like don't communicate with people. I've been able to, especially this week, now that I have more information on this, contact them and say, hey, I haven't heard from you for a few days. Hey, I haven't heard from... I, I noticed you're quiet this week. What's going on? What's up? You know? And it's only from communicating, being open, being honest about these things that any of this has happened at all. So let me ask you this. If if I'm somebody who's listening to this podcast and, and maybe there are some unresolved things that I'd like to maybe get ahead of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, explain to me and and to you know anybody who's listening how how did you seek help like how do you find let's say you you feel like you have a problem with alcohol and you want to reach out and you want to seek help via aa how did you mm-hmm. get involved in alcoholics anonymous how did you find them and same thing with a therapist well alcoholics anonymous luckily you can find you, all the information's online yeah they're a group that wants they want people to show up whether or not you follow the like whether whether or not you adhere to like you know the whole higher power is god thing like they want you there they want you to admit that you can't solve this problem on your own yeah and that you need a source of higher power whether you call it god the universe energy karma vishnu whatever i don't care like they they want to help each other and so the information's online you can look it up you can find local meetings they're public you know they share those um and you can find where they are and what times because they have schedules as far as therapy goes i had to talk to a few people yeah you know i had to find out i had to get some recommendations Mm -hmm. i had to ask who you know i I, luckily the best way i can describe it is be open and honest with people if you need to go to a medical professional and talk about the issues that you're having specifically and ask if they know someone um if you have a family member who's in therapy Talk to them about it. Yeah. Ask them where they go, who they go to, why they go there. Um, if you have friends who are in it, talk to them. Ask them the same questions. Do your research on that. Like you don't, you, you, there's a therapist out there for everybody. And not only that, one thing that I've also learned is there's therapists for therapists because they need to process things. I can't imagine. Because they're still people. Yeah. And they're you know? people that, that literally take the brunt of people's issues and try to work through them with them yeah. all the time. It's again, kind of putting everyone before yourself in well, yeah. that way. Well, right? massage therapists need a massage therapist, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Right. They like, they can't just massage themselves. Yeah. So the same thing, like they're a therapist for therapists. So even if you have a friend who is a therapist who you wouldn't go see, you could ask them who they would recommend to see, because even if they're maybe not seeing one right now, they, they probably can think of a few. You know, 
but, but I, I would definitely recommend being honest, being open, being transparent are like the first steps for mm. either one of those. Vulnerability. If people don't know that you have an issue, that's probably the biggest message that we have in this episode. If people don't know that you have an issue, if people are looking at what you're doing instead of how you are, whether or not they see it and whether or not they're communicating that to you, if they don't know that you're willing to say, I have an issue and I have to deal with it, you're not going to get help. Mm. In America, we always ask, what do you do before we ask how, how do you, you are. do or how are you? Yeah. And that's not the case in a lot of other places. No. And and I, we're, think we're, I think we're trying to relearn. I'm noticing culture. that in, in our culture. We're yeah. trying. Yeah. And we need it. Old habits die hard. Now more than ever. But we do. Yeah. We do need it. We need that kind of a cultural shift. We need, you know, I need it on a personal level. We need it on a social level. We need people to say, how are you? Hey, can we check in on some people today? You know. Speaking of which, how are you today? I'm all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, it's definitely, it's a long road ahead. Um, this was just the beginning of, you know, I, I made the joke to you like last week, you know, if, if I've got nine lives, that was number eight. Yeah. You know, and I really do feel that way because I've made, you know, like, I've, you know, I always tell that story about how I jumped into a raging river when I was like 20. Mm hmm. That wasn't necessarily because I completely believed in my ability to get out of it. It was because I was just like, here we go. Like there was a lack of care that yeah, happened. Yeah. There was a recklessness. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think I've used up eight of nine lives. And I think s saying things like that and being honest with myself and being honest with other people is continually putting me in a position where I'm like, all right, you're capable. But the thing that you're capable of is being honest and relying on other people. I'm still having trouble relying on other people. Yeah. My therapist gave me a goal this week. She said, tell someone you can't tell someone you can't do something. Don't just find extra hours in the day. Don't just go do it because it's a challenge and that's how you identify. And that's what you do because that's what Kevin does. Don't just go do it. Actually tell someone that you can't do something. Was that what you did today with yes. work? Yeah, well, yeah, Good I mean, on you. I, I, yeah, I did. Yeah, I said I could, I couldn't do something. Yeah, you said you, you weren't available. I, I, dude, I can't tell you how hard it is to tell someone I'm not available. Yeah, to tell someone I can't do something. I've done it a couple times this week. Um, that's great. And both times I felt good about it, and I felt bad about it. Oh yeah. And that's that's okay. Yeah. I think that was the real challenge was coming to terms with the different emotions I would have about it. It wasn't just because I would feel accomplished and walk away like, you know, clapping my hands together going, well, we did it. We said we can't. No, it's because I actually have to learn to process both emotions. I actually have to learn to say, wow, that sucked to say I can't, but I said it. Right. Cause you feel what you feel guilt. You feel, I feel guilt. I guilt myself. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing that I think I have to get over. Let me let me put it this way. I set a really high bar for myself. I don't necessarily feel like I always set that for everyone, but I set a real high bar for myself. Yeah. And I have to accept that sometimes I'm not going to get there. Yeah. And I'm just going to have to like I have to deal 
I yeah. can't like I can't view that as failure as a person anymore. I have to view that as like a fact of life that I'm not always going to get over that bar mm-hmm. that I'm not like just because I can give in, you know, just because I can push myself doesn't mean I should. Right. That's just, the big part. Just because I can set the bar doesn't mean it should be that high. Right. And you can see it right now. Like I'm tearing up a little bit talking about it because it's fucking hard. Yeah. It's so hard to get to like 33 and then go, oh, fuck, you've been doing some things real wrong, mm-hmm. you know? But if that's the difference between living a fulfilling life and just living a life that might end earlier than expected, you know, I'd rather I'd pick the former. So I was going to make an Elton John joke, but I didn't. He's got that really song, really sad song about burning the candle at both ends, which is, yeah, that's what we're talking about yeah. right now. I was going to sing sure. it, though, just to break the tension, but it didn't come out. I I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you want to break the tension? Yeah. There's nothing in our mug this week, and our jam is self-help. <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's where we're at. <laughs> There is nothing in our mind this week. We're drinking <laughs> we're drinking San Pellegrino and crying. <laughs> it's 2020. What what was People that are, what did that woman say? Remember so we were at the farmers market yesterday. So we we went to the Washington Park Farmers Market in Albany yesterday. I, I said weird flex 2020 and she said, "You ain't kidding." Yeah. And just kept walking. <laughs> we were joking about how we were like we were like weird flex 2020 cuz 2020 is like just throwing everybody do you see that two hurricanes are coming simultaneously to the same place? I did see that. They're tropical storms right now. Yeah. yeah. But they're headed. But if they become hurricanes. They're headed toward, towards the Gulf of Mexico, towards like Houston, Texas, I think. Yeah. And they're going to hit like within 24 hours of each other. That's great. And it's like 2020 does not like 2020 can only one up itself. It does not know. It only sets the bar. <laughs> right. That's it. That's it. Uh what yeah, a fucking no, for year. Real. Yeah. For, for everybody. And, well, and you know what? Like, honestly, a lot of this started with having to go inside. It started with the pandemic. And it started with sitting by myself and going, I think there might be a couple problems here. And now, like, I'm finally at the point where I'm like, okay, there are a couple problems here. Let's deal with it. You know, a lot of people had a really hard time with with having to stay home when we were locked down for those it was not even a few weeks it was what five weeks that they were like stay home they're like nothing i was open. home for like almost two months it yeah it affected everybody differently we started this podcast during that basically i basically. mean like i right, mean our second episode was pandemic episode you know, i remember like, saying to you like oh my god we're all shut down you know what we could double down on right now podcast. since we're not at work let's do the podcast and look how we've we've gotten like oh, we're almost up to episode 20 i think wow 20 weeks of podcasts, you know, episode 20 and 2020. God damn it. Listen, I just want to say that like you and I are examples of two very, very, very different people who experienced the state of the world right now. Very differently. Yeah. um, Emotionally. Yep. Who deal with different types of emotions, different types of mental illness. And that is a testament to how every single person who 
doesn't feel okay is absolute there your feelings are absolutely valid yeah the y- y- there is no reason whatsoever to ignore those feelings and keep pushing forward for the sake of some ego or the sake of like the basically and by ego i mean like your your perception of yourself to maintain whatever you think your role is as the protagonist in your story yeah there is nothing more important in this life than physical and mental health and yeah. we only just in the last 30 uh, in the last 50 years started to prioritize physical health mm-hmm. right like our parents gen- our, like the the midway through our grandparents generation people started to go like gyms opened and they were like yeah if you run like it's better for you turns out people yeah. never exercised before no. now it's 2020 and we're only we're still destigmatizing mental health yeah they are too sides of the same coin yeah and if you're feeling depressed anxious sad lost i mean anything find somebody to talk to whether it's a parent a friend a family member a brother sister cousin yep you the the like like the uh the cashier at the grocery store i mean like you think i'm kidding but i had a conversation that i may or may not have talked about on this podcast so if you heard the story before my bad but i went to get flowers for kenzie and i for our one-year wedding anniversary mm-hmm. i want to get a dozen roses and i walked into price chopper and i said to the guy at the counter of the flower station how's it going man and he said you know uh, not so good yeah i have heard he, story, he yeah. said something along the lines of you. yeah he said you know what man not very great and like i thought he was joking or and and my immediate reaction was like whoa this guy's like being weird but then i took a second i stepped back i said that's the first time maybe ever or in a long time that i've asked somebody how they're doing and they told me honestly how they were yeah be honest with people around you and i had a beautiful conversation with him and told him that like i gave him encouragement and i said i respect the fact that you were honest with me and i hope that your day goes better and you deserve better and you deserve more and you should go for that and i think it improved his day a little bit yeah you know what we should do what we should put um some links oh in this in the show notes for this for people who hear this and maybe go hey i i should do that aa um i'll definitely yeah suicide hotline i'll send you a couple i have some good ones for aa you know um i know that right now because we're trying to prevent the spread of the c word Mm -hmm. that it's hard to meet in person I, I like my i lost my primary care physician not not to the c word but i mean like yeah. he like moved practices probably due to like the you know the the craziness of the economy in the world or whatever yeah um i don't have a primary care physician anymore and so i have to find a new doctor and i can imagine that for most people it's hard to find a therapist right now but actually um electronic checkups or whatever they're calling it yep are a real thing. I did one with my doctor a while back and people are doing that with therapy too. So there are some services out there um, where you, that that are like covered by your insurance if you have health insurance. A lot of health insurance will cover a lot of this um, yeah. virtual therapy mm-hmm. and we'll leave some links in the show notes for you. Don't Don't wait another day to take care of yourself. Don't wait until it's a matter of life and death. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because you're not alone, you know, we're all feeling it. 
in a different way. Even, you know, even those of us who hide how we're feeling with, look at all the things that I do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, man. Even the two giddy hipsters on the Upstate Coffee Collective podcast have demons that they have and have not dealt with. Dealing. Yeah. We're or are try- dealing trying with. to deal. Yeah. Trying to cope, trying to deal. Um, Matt, do you have a jam this week? You say no. We don't. We don't need to throw one in. I figured I'd ask just for um, some fun at the end. I'm gonna actually. <laughs> I, I'm. I'm gonna take a shot here and say, uh, I listened. Started listening to. I haven't finished yet. Um, every year, Tim Ferriss, the, mm-hmm. uh, the Tim Ferriss show. That, yep. uh, every year or so, him and his friend Kevin Rose, who is. Mm-hmm a tech CEO and a founder of a bajillion companies. They're both very successful, successful people. Yep. They get together and they talk about whatever, just what they've been up to things that it's, a, it's a very loose conversation called the random show okay. where they just kind of catch up. And it's nice because most Tim Ferriss show episodes are very poignant. They're very focused Tim's a very good interviewer, and yeah. this is just a little bit. It's nice to see like his personality come out with one of his buddies. Oh, that's cool. And you, anything? I like that. Um, what have I been listening to this week? Oh my god, what were we listening to in the car? The German oh. guy. Oh, um, quick short story about where my jam came from. So I've played the algorithm enough on Instagram and Facebook where now my music recommendation pop-ups because I'm sharing like what I like on Spotify with Kat, mm-hmm. with like Caleb and other people who I meet and we jam on the same music. Um, because I share those enough and a lot of them are like multicultural. They're cross-cultural artists or they're people who their first language is like another language, but they sing in English. Uh, Amelie her new single came up green eyes and it's dope. That was great. Yeah. But then because of that and because I just let it play after I listen to a single a lot of times because I'm like, Oh, what else is out? Maybe Spotify will play me some new stuff. Province or Provin or I think it's Provin. 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 Yeah. Like the German lumineers came on (laughs) and it's dope. We it listen really to it good. on the way down the to the farmer's market. I have no idea what they're singing about. Who knows? Some German indie band that sounds like it belongs in the soundtrack to The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. That's my <laughs> jam. <laughs> Just some good old happy music, yeah, but with yeah, German lyrics. Yeah. And it wasn't overproduced either. Like, no, a, thank like, God. Yeah. That's know? what I like the most about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, great. Yeah, I think this was a good, candid conversation. I um, think so too. Even though well, we were supposed to talk with Andrew today, we and were then supposed he texted to talk me Andrew. and said he needed a mental health day. And I was like, "God, smart damn. choice." Yeah, yeah. And so then here point. we are. So, so on on topic. Yeah, Thank very you, on topic. We'll talk to him soon. Shout out. Um, I think it's just important that <sighs> even though um, podcasts and all kinds of other media like that are meant to distract, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think our podcast is like a fun, informative podcast, but it's also kind of easy We always tell listening. people, for your drive. For your drive. For your commute. This yeah. one is a little bit more of a, I think, an important episode. You know, I think we need to, I think we need to take a moment and stop distracting ourselves and look inwards and say, am I doing enough for me? Yeah. Big time. Because we haven't been. Yeah. So. Thanks, right. everybody, for listening. 
Yeah. No no end bumper this time, I don't think. We just I think this is perfect. Cue the music. Cue the music. Peace. <laughs>